0: What's wrong with the car? Uh oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all smoked up. <laughs> we, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. all right. Don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus
1: and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings <laughs> from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch, that hurt! No, I've got your paperwork. Have you read it? You're not gonna push me around. Don't insult me. Don't insult me. Money's never a problem. You listen to me. You just have to honor the correct price. You got that? What? <gasps> then go home, Toby! You make me sick! I can't do this many leaves for ten bucks! Grow up, Toby!
2: Mac, open internet, please.
1: Command unknown.
2: I think I have to research alternative specs.
1: Searching
0: alternative sex. What? Listing. No, shut down. Barnyardlove.net.
1: Fundwithfruit.com.
2: Oh, snap! A softball pitch. You think you're good at this? <laughs> ah,
1: oh, get me a snow cone. <laughs> wow.
2: trip i can't get off work
1: come on guys what do we have to look forward to anymore in
2: my day ladies stayed home not the lazy men. in your day the men were busy building pyramids i think you all need this trip this spring they may not know how to ride i gotta work on the fist tapping thing no you gotta work on the bike riding thing But when they hit the road, they had no idea it would hit back. She is perfect. I wanted to say something funny, but all I could think of was black jokes. Please do tell. From Touchstone Pictures, they went looking for an adventure. (laughs) What did you do? Maybe I blew up their bar. Oh know that was bad. And found a journey. Wild wolves, baby! they never forget. Never let life get too safe. Every now and then you gotta slap the bull. This'll be interesting to see now that the bull's alert. Alert! alert. No! <laughs> Wild hogs. Hello, out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the way back machine. We enter the way back, and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. 20, 30, 30, 30, 50, 50, 100. I'm 100% sure that you're going to have to tune in and check it out. Nostalgic Radio and Cars. That's right, folks. Dan and Laura Dotson here. Storage Wars, back on the air. a TV, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock Central, and don't forget us on... That's right, folks. Here we are today in Nostalgic Radio and Cars having a good time. And don't forget to pay the lady, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
1: Okay, let Welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to visit the archive page where you can see all 430-some-odd shows and counting. Good evening, Mr. Vaughn. How are you? Hey, good evening, Robert. How are you doing? So, uh, Pretty good in the back over here, Everything okay over there? Good, good, good. Hey, we got a great show for you to get to that bit. We got a great show for you tonight. Uh, we have another very special guest coming on. Someone you've probably seen on TV in a multitude of different uh, roles. So I'm excited to have this gentleman on. Yes, it's a gentleman. Car guy, bike guy, uh, racer guy, just uh, you know, and uh, all around you know reality TV show kind of guy. Anyway, so uh, let's go to the Florida Car Shows minute here real quick since we got a second or two. And well, if you want to find out where all those car shows are in the state of Florida, definitely check out FLA or FLCarshows.com, FloridaCarshows.com. You can find out what's going on all over the place. The biggie this weekend is HSR Historic Sports Car Racing Yes, that's at Sebring. The 12-hour classic is this weekend. Not only are they going to have race cars down there, really cool race cars, I might add, but they're going to have airplanes. So it's kind of like pistons and props and very fast cars. So uh, I guess the field somewhere around 250 cars. That's quite a few cars. Racing actually started – well, they started going down there today. They start tomorrow, testing and tuning, and then the racing starts uh, officially – I think Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Sunday is a big day, but I will be down there. At least this is the plan. I will be down there on Saturday. So if anybody wants to come down and hang out with us for a while, feel free to do so. Very cool cars down there. Just about everything. Yes, there's a lot of Porsches. And yes, I'm a Porsche kind of guy. There's also some Shelbys and Bosses. and maybe a Cobra too. There's going to be some Ferraris down there. There's going to be some Aston Martins. There's going to be some modern GTP cars in there. When I say modern GTP, I'm talking about 80s, 90s stuff Maybe. And once in a while, some late-model stuff slow, uh, slides in there. There'll be some uh, 2000 cars, 2001, 2002, some GT cars, uh, ALMS cars, or what they call American Le Mans, series cars, but basically GT race cars because it's a road race course. You know, in the old days, in uh, I was just watching a little film earlier this afternoon, 1970 Le Mans, Touareg uh, Sebring. Mario Andretti set a pole lap of one minute, 21 seconds. Now, that's the old course when it was just short of five miles. It was four miles and something changed. Very twisty road. We still had the hairpin. Just a really, really cool track. And uh, and I was fortunate enough to go to Sebring back in the 70s. I think it was the mid-70s, 76. 76 might have been the first year I went there. 76, 77, somewhere around there. And, uh, I mean, I had been there before earlier, but I hadn't been on the track. During a 12-hour event, and uh, so it was pretty cool because they still had the old hangars. What was really neat is all the B-17s and some of the other big vintage World War II and Korean planes and jets and stuff like that were still laying around because Seymour was a military base back in the uh, in the 50s or 40s you know, during the war. So, uh, and the, and the and the joke was I shouldn't say it's a joke, but the the old wives' tale or was. Um, that back in the old days when they, because that was just big open field, nobody, yeah, for real, nobody thought, oh yeah, Florida's going to expand, it's going to become the hot spot state that it is today, you know, where you've got something like a thousand people, think about this, a thousand people a day supposedly moving into Florida. We're going to get pretty crowded. I mean, this this little sandbar they call Florida is probably going to sink one of these days, and uh, of course, you know, if you buy in the climate change or global warming you know we're, we're sinking as it is anyway you know because the water levels raising rising you know whatever but that's another story for another day for another topic for another show not this one uh, anyway so see me back in the day what would happen is after the war suppose there was all these planes laying around and supposedly they dug holes and buried a lot of stuff including bombs now as the old story goes, Um, there was a number of cars that crashed there over the years. And supposedly they just, rather than, you know, they were just old race cars. Who cared? Supposedly they just, again, like I said, dug a hole and shoved the car in there. Well, years later when these cars in the 80s, when these cars started becoming valuable, there was rumors of guys saying, well, we think this car last crashed here and it probably got shoved over here and buried over there. So then they had to go through airport authority to try to uh, get permits, special permits, and then go through the U.S. government to— possibly dig this stuff up and then as the story goes again further uh they were going to go ahead and dig and they were out there with track hose and loaders and scrapers and all kinds of cool stuff and then all of a sudden some guy goes running out there no 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 you know so they stopped everything put the kibosh to it as they say because apparently some of the ammo uh may still be live like it'd be really unpleasant if you kind of or digging down there, and you're looking for a you know vintage Jaguar or Cobra, which was supposedly was buried there, or a GT40. Actually, zero one zero zero one or one zero zero five was the Essex wire car. It crashed and burned in 1965, and supposedly that car, the remains are somewhere down there at Sebring on the grounds. And that was one of the cars that they were actually going to go dig up. And uh, so then that all stopped. Then politics got in the way. Might have been a good thing. It would be kind of un. Kind of not really cool if you happen to hit a a mine <laughs> or whatever else might be on it and all of a sudden, <laughs> I think I need to look for that sound effect. Um, and then uh, you know it would be everybody would be blown to smithereens. But at any rate, so that never happened. So that story still persists to this day. So. Those of us that have been around Sebring forever and ever and ever, at least going back to the 70s, and they're sure those guys older than me that have been around there a lot longer, um, still think about that story, you know, and, and many of those stories. So it's hard to, hard to, you know, think, hmm. You know, the other rumor was, too, is that uh, within a 250-mile radius of most of the racetracks— there was probably, you know, a lot of guys went and dragged their SCCA cars or their club racers and stuff like that to some of these racetracks. And whether it be, and keep in mind, back in the 50s after the war, a lot of guys came back from, from Europe and they were kind of acclimated to sports cars. Sports car racing was something kind of new. You know, we still had uh, Bonneville soft flat cars. We had kind of, you know, go fast in a straight line kind of cars. You know, we were really in the handling cars. We did have these little things called roundy round tracks, though. We did have circle tracks and we did have this other little event called Indy. And, um, but that's all fine and dandy, you know, that's a different type of racing and stuff. But for the road race guys, uh, sports cars was kind of like it, you know, so what they did is, uh, a lot of the military guys were kind of into that, you know, cause they were used to driving on what was left of the, the original Autobahn and some of those really cool, windy, twisty Alpine roads over there in Europe. And so they brought that, uh, driving style and technique uh, back to the United States. So a lot of the original road racing Took place on military bases, so McDill Air Force Base actually had some races. Uh, Sebring, obviously, we know about that. Down in South Florida, over up in uh, Pensacola, there was races going on over there. There was races going up near Jacksonville. So there's a lot of places. That's just here in Florida, you know. Now all the way up and down the coastline, it was like that. All the way out west, it was like that. In California, a lot of them started on the uh, um, on military bases, and. Um, so I think Marlboro, which is New York, New Jersey, somewhere around there, was very well known back in the fifties and sixties. So and a lot of guys cut their teeth up there on those those race tracks. So road racing is kind of cool. And um, but anyway, so the the hunt was on. You know, as the values of these cars increased, people were kind of you know searching far and wide, high and low, in barns, under trees, under rocks, all over the place, wherever you can go, old shops, houses, you name it, trying to find old race cars. And many of those cars have turned up now that's not to say that there's still not a few of them out there undiscovered cars and uh if you guys ever read uh or google uh bring a trailer stuff up stuff pops up on bring a trailer all the time it's pretty cool so and then uh tom cotter who's probably be coming on our show in you know i don't know another month or so he uh th- he wrote the story the book cobra in the barn because he found one in a barn he actually found it kind of in a chicken coop so it's kind of cool so, yes, it's very possible those cars are out there still. So don't give up hope and, you know, scour the countryside. Ask your friends, neighbors, aunts, uncles, nieces, and nephews, and everybody, hey, you see anything weird, ugly, and old? It's probably a old road race car. And then call me. Anyway, uh, Scottsdale's coming up. Second, third week in uh, Scottsdale Collector Car Week. Yes, sir, Bear jackson Russo, and Steele, Bonhams, Gooding, RM, and worldwide will be out there in Scottsdale in the third week of uh, January. Meekums coming up the first week of January, January 3rd. Not 2,000, not 2,500, not 3,000. 3,500 cars, 11 days. Get ready for it, guys. You name it, it should be there. So you've got some really cool stuff, and there will be some good buys, and the buys are going to be early on in the auction and the last day. So get your, get your pennies together now. Start saving your Christmas money and budget for it. This weekend, yes, you know where I'm going to be besides Seamring? On Sunday, I'm going to be at the Sumter County Fairgrounds. So I'm going to be up there with my little, trusty little man and a truckload of parts, and I'm going to be selling used parts, so come see me. Anyway, on that note, I think we're going to fire up the, wow, it's already 20 after. All right, let's go ahead and play a little music here real quick. Let's see, what we got? We got a little... Uh, breaking the law. Breaking, a little Judas Priest for you. Hey, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo.
2: This is Aaron Hagar, Rat Runners Garage, and Shift and Steer, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Awesome! I love you guys. Keep talking.
1: Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hope you enjoyed a little Judas Priest breaking the law. Anyway, let's see. All right, so what was I talking about? I was talking about uh, Swap Meet this weekend. Uh, I got a gentleman that I did a uh, PPI for a few years back. God, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Uh, was calling me here, contacting me a couple, uh, a day or so ago. And he was looking to purchase a 69 Z28. Well, he found one on eBay. Actually, I just got a text from him. I just, he just found another one. So he found one in South Carolina. It was owned by a gentleman that who purchased the vehicle from another gentleman who allegedly was a collector from out West. Apparently the car solid body and all that other good stuff. Where I'm going with this is, is you know, I really – it's its great to, to surf the internet. It's great to look at these cars and stuff like that. But you really, really, really don't know. Because the guy on the other end that you're buying the car from might be as honest as the day is long. But you don't know what his expertise is, you know. And unless you get – and then especially if you don't know that much about cars, you don't know all the right questions to ask. So then you obviously contact someone like me. My job is to – hopefully know a lot more about the cars than you do and a lot more about the car than the guy that owns the car so that I can catch all the boo-boos into this the that and all this other good stuff so where I'm going with this is that like I said in spite of the fact that it's really cool to look at all these cars and you find stuff and you get that wow you get that uh, urge to pull the trigger you get caught up in the moment like people do occasionally at auctions you know eBay is an auction but you know at meekum or Russo or Worldwide or Gooding or Barrett or wherever you gotta thoroughly look at the cars. You gotta make sure because you gotta keep in mind the guy that's selling the car and the guy that sold the car to the guy that owns the car that's got it from the guy two guys before, may or may not know exactly what he had, may not been savvy enough to make sure that the car he's got is as it is represented and is the real deal. Okay. Likewise, there's a lot of shenanigans going out there. There's a lot of cars that are being cloned. There's a lot of cars that are being rebodied. I used to see this all the time. This is nothing new. This has been going on since the market went nuts in the eighties. People were kind of uh, rebodying, cloning, and passing off fake cars. So you really, really got to check it out. The best thing to do is search a car that's within driving distance, a day's driving distance, hunt that car down, talk to the guy, get as much information And then contact somebody if you're not sure, if you have any doubts. Spend a little money with someone like me that's fairly knowledgeable in these cars or at least has the ability and the resources to verify and make sure the car is 100% as represented. That doesn't mean I'm qualified to authenticate stuff because authentication is a different process. But – uh, and, and and there's different degrees you know if you're judging a car for a concourse you want to make sure all the nuts boats clips wires and stuff like that's all correct if you're just want to authenticate the car and make sure it's a real shelby or it's a real z28 or it's a real ss chevelle ls6 car or a cobra jet torino or a gto or a or a b-body uh, you know hammy car gtx or something like that yes you really need to h- hire somebody to do that there's obvious things you look for you know drivetrain, original body numbers and things of that nature. Those are the key things. I mean, and you want to make sure as much of the car is original as possible. When I say that, particularly with the sheet metal, motors and drivetrain pieces. Okay, that's price relative. You know, a lot of those engines we blew up back in the day, we raced the snot out of them. And uh, you know, so I would say probably 50% of the cars have the original motor. So if a guy sits there and says, "Oh yeah, it's got an original match number." Well, you want to it can be stamped. Okay. So you just take it for face value. If you got as much documentation as possible, you'll pay a premium for that car. At least it's good, clean, original, survivor, unrestored kind of car. Restored car, really, you got to have paperwork and documentation. That's it in a nutshell, guys. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to fire up the uh, turn up table. Don't forget to visit Nostalgic Radiant Cars. Well, when I say Nostalgic Radiant Cars, Gulfstream Motorsports. And contact me if you have any questions about cars, if you need somebody to do a pre purchase inspection, a diminished value, or a total loss report. So, on that note, I think we're going to fire up a little Black Sabbath. Yeah. How about The Wizard? You're tuned into Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back.
2: More than 40 years, the most important discovery of this century has been kept secret. These two men know why. MGM presents George C. Scott, Marlon Brando in The Formula. They will meet during the investigation the bizarre murder, when evidence of the formula mysteriously reappears. Genesis turns out to be something the Nazis considered very top secret, and whatever it is, it's still in Germany. In a world starved for energy, no secret is more important than the formula, and nothing is more dangerous than knowing it. What does Genesis stand for? synthetic fuel George C. Scott You trade lives and human dignity for profit Marlon Brando Money, not morality is the principal commerce of civilized nation You're not in the oil business you're in the oil shortage business I somewhere I could nail you And Monte Killer Just following orders, right? Yes Right in the bed, right? See how you can make love to someone. And then two minutes later, top seven slugs and noise his body. If I were in the murder business, that'd blow your brains all over that Venetian line back there, right here, right now. In the motion picture thriller from the best selling novel by Steve Shapin. The people will accept the 12s now because we can blame it on the Arabs. Arthur, you're uh, missing the point we are the Arrow. George C. Scott Marlon Brando and Marta Keller The Formula speed shop and the host of car warriors you're listening to nostalgic radio and cars don't touch that dial
1: okay we're back and uh you are tuned into nostalgic radio and cars it's time to introduce our special guests for the evening gentlemen is an actor a celebrity a tv show host and a reality movie star i'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening brett big swag wagner hey brett how you doing buddy
0: well, now I, now you make me want to go watch the formula. I can't believe I never even heard of that movie, but I'm ready to
1: go see it now. Hey, you know, it's funny because I saw the previews for that way back when, and me too. I didn't get a chance to see it, but I'm going to go see it too. But here's the thing: that I have said this for years, you know, because it's all this oil and gas and all this nonsense. I really truly believe that they develop fuel in a laboratory, and that the formula is out there, and we can do it. But the big oil companies are keeping it a secret just so they can. Suck the oil out of the the ground. Uh,
0: Of course, but two of my favorite actors—you got uh, George C. Scott, you know, and then you got Marlon Brando. I mean, can't can't be all that bad.
1: It's got to be a good movie, yes. Mr. General Patton himself. That's right. Yeah. I'm gonna personally go to Bur Bel- Ber- No, no way. What was that quote in uh in in Pat? And he says I'm gonna personally go to uh, Russia and shoot the son of a gun myself or something of that effect. Anyway, meaning uh, Stalin, you know. But anyway, another state, another day for another story. Yes. So how you been?
0: Good, buddy. Uh, you know, just uh, been f- filming a movie the last uh, three weeks called El Tonto with some. Uh... Some very cool people: John Malkovich and Ray Liotta and uh, Charlie Day, uh, comedic actor and director from everything Sunny in Philadelphia and a bunch of other movies. So I've been lucky, been sitting on the set and just playing a big mean guy.
1: Wow. Okay. So now, now tell us a little bit about the movie. So this is uh, it's still in the production stages. So when's it supposed to roll out? Next year, sometime
0: uh yeah we in fact the, the last day they they finish shooting tomorrow it's uh i mean i really can't talk about it just tell you it's a comedy with a lot of big uh a lot of huge actors in it and i have a, a small part that uh but it's fun it was um charlie days uh um if you don't know him he's a very funny comedic actor and uh i just think his uh, a school fight was his last movie with the uh, ice cube where they Great fun movie, and uh, he's been doing that uh, everything Sunny in Philadelphia, I think, for about seven or eight years. So uh, just got blessed, lucky. I uh, love working on movies; it's always fun, you know. Uh, you know, you get to work on a movie sometimes. I mean, it's great when it's out of state because they got to fly you first class, pick you up in a limo, and uh, uh, that's always a good deal. But uh, we were filming right here in L.A., so I got to ride the Harley over every morning for work, and ride back on the Harley, which is always a good deal.
1: Okay. Well, give us a little background on yourself. Tell us a little bit how you got uh, started in the uh, TV show business, and then you can tell us a little bit about uh, your early days as a as a car guy or motorcycle guy, or you know.
0: Well, you know, um, it's it's. I started. I knew when I was uh, very young. I wanted to be an actor. Um, You know, I used to sit in front of uh, the TV and watch Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. I loved horror movies and horror horror genre based. uh, you know, TV shows and movies and, um, I was, uh, doing bodyguard work, uh, up until, I mean, I started when I was about 16 cause I was a big kid and I started doing work at bars and clubs and then started working into the bands, working with bands. And I just, I got a, you know, I tried to be a start, went to acting class at 21, got an agent really quick. And then it's one of those things where it just takes a long time. Some people get lucky, you know, but, uh, as uh, the years have progressed, I've I got better as an actor, and I think it took about ten years before kind of things started clicking. So when I got into my thirties, I starting to get bigger and good roles, and you know it's something uh, that I like doing, and uh, hopefully you can you know keep doing it the rest of your life as long as you're walking, and talking. Well, that's cool. So, um, how how tall are little, you? Go ahead. I'm six
1: five, three 310 pounds. So okay, so you're a small guy then. Like, i am tiny i'm yeah, tiny yeah <laughs> you, you ever notice how the guys that are really really big they give them hey ask tiny over there sure where's tiny i'm looking for tiny <laughs> the guy's about nine feet tall looks down and he says i'm tiny yeah no you know i got I have,
0: i've had uh, i'm one of those guys that's always tried to do everything you know um uh my father my mom and dad worked very hard my dad was a stockbroker mom worked at a, a school and uh I just knew I didn't want to be a stockbroker, and I knew that I wasn't going to work at a school. So uh, that was, you know, acting was one of those things that just gave me opportunities. And you know, I had a little midlife crisis at thirty. Decided I'm going to be get into the world of professional wrestling. Oh, which lasted about five years, and that um, that uh, got me. You know, you're in the world of you're you're trying to get a thousand people in an auditorium, you know, or in a building to boo and cheer you. So it, uh, that it helped my acting. Um, I got, I did a documentary for Discovery Channel called Wrestling School with John Cena and a few other people who still are working. And the executive producer's name was Tom Beers. And I stayed his friend. And one time he came to me, uh, uh, you know, and he said, Hey, uh, I'm going to be doing this sh- car show called Monster Garage. And, I'd love for you to do your uh, wrestling voice kind of thing for it, your big swag voice, and that kind of started my uh, down the path of uh, doing reality TV and getting in with cars and bikes.
1: Okay, now go back to your wrestling career. So, big yeah. Sh- where did the name Big Swag came from? Come from?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> I really have no clue. I uh, You know, my last name's Wagner, and some guy used to uh, used to bounce at bars with uh, his name's tom and he used to call me schwagner so when we were starting to do the wrestling thing i was like well what can i call myself well i'll just call myself big schwag sounded like a, a you know harmless goofy name and when we started doing the monster garage and i was doing the voiceovers for it i asked our tom beers our executive producer i said well can i you know if i'm gonna be doing this i'd like to trademark something you know, at least let me say my wrestling name and we did that and he says that's fine you know discovery doesn't have an issue with it so i would always you know use my tagline with the big swag and we got the name out there that way and my mom wasn't happy she was like you know brett wagner's a good name (laughs) so we gave it to you for so but uh you know it's just uh it's a way it's just it's just a gimmick you know it really is i um in my acting, I go as Brett Wagner, but in the you know the blue collar world, uh, some in the drag racing and the motorcycle world, people know me as the Big Schwag. So,
1: who were some of the guys that you wrestled with back then?
0: Well, oh, man, we were in the uh, Ultimate Pro Wrestling, so it was the minor leagues for the WWF um, okay. at the time. Uh, was Samoa Joe, uh, John Cena, who both are still on top of their game in the WWE now, I mean, mm-hmm. I, mean I got to work with the Road Warriors. I got to work with Triple H. I uh, realized after about a year that uh, I was not going to be a good professional wrestler starting at 30 years of age, so I became a manager, and I was like the bad manager, like a Bobby the Brain Heenum. But, um, (laughs) you know, got to work with a lot of people. It was great. Um,
1: Did you ever work with Hulk
0: Hogan? Never worked with Terry, no. Hulk Hogan, he was was doing the bigger stuff. Um, But, you know, I had a couple tryouts for the WWF at the time to be a manager, but, you know, they... The problem was is I was just as big as the wrestlers, if not bigger in some of them.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And at the time they were like, well, we don't need a big manager. Uh-huh. But um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was wonderful, it was fun. I made a lot of friends and you know, got to help a lot of people. I actually helped run the school and teach guys how to cut promos because in the, in the world of professional wrestling, if you can't talk, they're gonna stick you with someone like me and I also wanna get, you know, I'd like to get a little of the glory too. So, but um, you gotta talk in the business and you got to be a phenomenal athlete. It's uh, uh even the big guys that look like they're out of shape are just they're tremendous athletes. So
1: That's good. That's good. Um so Monster Garage, so was that the, like in the early days when uh, Jesse James was involved with them and everything?
0: Yeah, it was great. It was uh you know, they the uh, Jesse was this, you know, hot young bike builder and um Tom Beers our executive producer, he created shows like Ice Road Truckers, Deadliest Catch and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I think this was his first foray into, he was doing documentaries, and he said, let's do a thing, he did a show called the, oh uh, uh, gosh, uh, uh, Chopper, I forget the name of it, I'll, it'll come to me in a second, but um, and it has showcased Jesse, and um, Discovery Channel got like a, you know, 10,000 phone calls going, who was that guy, what is this, Where does that look cool, and they said, do you have a show, and Tom Beer said, yeah, I got a show, we'll figure a show out, we called it Monster Garage, and you know, for five or six years. And I think 90 episodes, 89 episodes It showcased you know, that guy that Jesse James and gave a lot of uh, opportunities to a lot of mechanics and guys that come out there and show their stuff that were on the teams. You know, each week we had five or six folks that would come in and they had a week to build uh, whatever they were building, you know, and uh, either passed or it failed, but uh, definitely put a lot of people on the map. You know, we've got Jesse, uh, you know, it was his, uh, his, uh, you know, opening show, as they would like to say to the world, and uh, he's uh, done very well with it, so. Okay, And cool. it did really good for me, too. I mean, I've, uh, you know, obviously, I've, I got uh, very well noticed with my voice, and sometimes uh, showing in, and as the host, and it's, uh, it's helped me out tremendously, you know, making appearances, and it got me in front of the camera as a, a bit of a host, which, you know, was a good thing, and then people realized, well, hey, this guy's... Just because he's big and goofy, he can actually host the show, so open the doors for me as well.
1: (laughs) Let's talk about Pastime. My son and I used to watch that all the time. We used to take bets on on the time, so tell us about Pastime a little bit. I like that show.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. Let's go back. When I was a kid, my dad used to take me to the Winter Nationals, right, in Pomona, Uh so um, for many years, I'd go see the drag races, and I was like, well, this is great. You know, we'd get get down there, and you have your headphones on. It was just amazing to see these big cars, but I never guessed in a million years that I would uh, be hosting a drag racing show. So, um, I'd done some in and had a radio show and I was a uh, member. I was interviewing Rich Christensen from pinks and pinks all out. And he said, one of these days I'm going to give you a show. And then one day he called and said, listen, got this drag racing show we're going to do. At first it was called name that test into which was a goofy name, but we uh, shot a five episode pilot, uh, channel liked it and um you know then it became pastime and you know it was um that first day i used to i used a little bit of my wrestling right i used a little bit of my wrestling persona and i used to yell and scream at the camera and poke fun at myself and we just had a good time and we did 100 almost 160 episodes over you know six seven years and um he showcased that blue collar drag racer you know not the Guys that are sponsored with, you know, $10 million a year and they're racing, you know, going 300 miles an hour. But it showcased that guy that, uh, you know, that works on his car on the uh, at night after 40 or 50 hours of work, you know, a week, a work week. And then he'd come home and work a couple more hours on his car. And then he'd go out on a Friday or Saturday night and, you know, go to his local check and race. So, great experience, man. I mean, it was, um, it, we were like the highest rated for you know, I think four out of the six years we were on. And unfortunately, a speed channel was—I got bought by Fox and they took the channel and made it FS1 and they have the rights to all those shows and wish they'd bring it back because it was a good, you know, it was a fun show. It was fun to do. It was uh, You know, uh, I know a lot of guys would come on and say, hey, you know, my wife, I got my wife wa- watching the show. Everybody liked guests in the times and uh, it was a good, uh, you know, good avenue to showcase drag racing.
1: Well, the thing I like about it, and some of these reality shows too, the ones that the average guy like myself can relate to, I mean, I can relate to, to that, you know, because I used to go to the drags on weekends. I was more of a street racer than anything else, but back in the seventies and stuff. But, you know, like you said, it caters to the guy that doesn't have the million dollar car, you know, the guys in there and, you know, some of the guys, I was watching them and I could tell they were sandbagging a little bit, you know, which that's part of racing. That's just the way it is. But you did a very good job. You know, the three guys that are on there, you know, trying to guess the speeds. I think you had one professional and then two just lay people is that the way it was
0: yeah we would have a guy Ken Herring uh, out there in uh, Tyler Texas and he was uh, he worked for, you know he was like the, the house we called mm-hmm. him and then we would bring in two contestants and they had to go up against Ken now Ken was a he had a chassis shop so you know he, he knew what because uh, you go to a guy at a chassis shop and he said how fast do you want to go so he knows what he's going to have to do and what you got on your car alright so if you want to go eight seconds this is how we're going to have to build the chassis so he, I think, out of 160 episodes, he probably won a good, uh, you know, 45 percent of them, and he just saved us money. And then the, <laughs> if you won the show, if you were a contestant, you know, you would win two grand, and it was, you know, it was fun, man. We'd have over, I think, uh, you know, over uh, 100, 120 cars would always be there, and we you know we'd, go, we'd shoot 11 episodes, and it used to be two days. But after a couple years, my voice couldn't handle it, so we had to go to three days because. And if it rained a little bit, well, you know, uh, from racing that if it rained a little bit, man, we'd have, you know, we could have a two, a two hour shutdown and we were doing shows in about, I could do a show in about four, fast in about 45 minutes. If we have no, uh, issues with cars or anything, uh, with the podiums or electronics or anything. And then, um, but they would average out to about an hour a show. So in two days we would, we would, uh, bang out 11 of them. And then once we got into where my voice would start to, be cracking we would had to go to uh three days but great thing man i met a lot of my friends today i met on that show and uh you know we got to travel around see the different tracks and that was always a cool thing going to see another tracks which a lot of people don't get to see unless they you know, are a professional drag racer, and they travel around for
1: a living doing it. Now, Pink's was filmed a few times in Orlando at uh, Bithalo out there. Did you come there and do uh, pastime at bithalo in Orlando Speedway? No, I
0: never, we, I don't, we never, we did, what did we do in Florida? We did Palm Beach International Raceway. Okay. And we did, um...
1: Did you Gainesville? Brainerd. Oh, Brainerd?
0: Yeah, Brainerd. Bra- Bradington,
1: Bradington, Bradington.
0: Yeah, so Fl- we did, we did that, and, um... You know, we would kind of, you know, out of seven years, we never did California, which killed me. I was like, really? Well, I would love to do my own states, but um, all over the place—Arizona, Florida—you know, um, Maple Grove—we did it all over. It was, it was a, it was a great time. Now, people used to give me a lot of crap because they go, "You're just this actor, you know, that doesn't know anything about drag racing." Now, I knew a little bit about more drag racing than I let on, but. Um, it, it, A couple years ago, people were giving me such a hard time. I was like, man, you know, and I'd go make appearances at drag events. And a friend of mine up in Canada, up in Gimli, Manitoba, was like, listen, I got two dragsters. Why why don't you race for me? I'm like, man, I I don't know how to go 200 miles an hour. And so he uh, said, "Um, we'll send you to school. So I went to uh, Frank Holly's school out here. He's all over the place, Florida, Mm -hmm. and comes out here to... Montana, he's in, and I he's in Gainesville
1: there. too Gainesville Florida
0: yeah Gainesville yeah mm-hmm. great guy amazing class and then you know two days I was doing 165 miles an hour and when I went up to Canada and I started to do these match races you know beat the tv show guy and racing top dragster and uh got just under 200 miles an hour in a low seven seconds so uh it was pretty cool I mean I still would like to race but it's obviously obviously it costs a lot of money to uh to have one of those top dragsters so
1: well now let's jump all the way into sons of anarchy so you go all the way from being this really cool kind of comedic kind of friendly blue collar kind of buddy buddy beer drinking buddy on pastime and then you go to sons of anarchy
0: yeah, well, you know, I'm an actor, so I mean, I, I play a lot, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a nice guy, but I also, you know, when you're 6'5", 300 pounds, you play a lot of bad guys, and you know, and so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I did the first season, third episode, I played a reformed, uh, I believe, sex offender on the TV show, so,
1: uh,
0: in Bible study, but um, it was, uh, it was a great experience, I mean, you never know how big a show is gonna be when you do it, you just, you're just blessed to get a gig, and that show uh, took off huge and um, made a lot of made a lot of stars out of some folks that were on there and gave the world Charlie Hunnam and uh, great, great show great producers Kurt Sutter the, uh, the creator is a really nice guy and uh, worked for him uh, a couple times on some different stuff and yeah you know um, you, you get in where you fit in and if they want me to play the bad guy it's fine man I, I love playing bad guys it's kind of easy
1: so <laughs> the crazies tell us about the crazies that was a movie wasn't it
0: yeah now well so as i said when i was growing up i loved the twilight zone i loved uh anything that was so horror you know horror movies uh any george romero don of the dead nine of the living dead so i started acting because i wanted to be in uh i wanted to be uh, in these monsters i wanted to be uh you know freddy krueger and these guys and um, <laughs> So I was very lucky, you know. I, I did. I did play. Uh, the Crazies was great. I played this uh, hunter Jesse who gets infected and I get all worked out and I had a nice fight scene with. Uh, I, know, I can't think of his name right now, but um, good movie. Oh, like Timothy Oliphant. So um, great movie. You know, we filmed in Atlanta. We filmed in uh, filmed in Iowa. You know, for I got about three weeks worth of work. And I remember. <laughs> you, know, if you can imagine what I don't know if you remember seeing what my case looked like, but it was pretty grotesque. And yeah, we were, we were in our makeup uh, for like ten hours one day, and we took over this town. I think it's uh, it's in um, it's in Iowa. I can't think of the name of it, but we took over the whole town. Very small, like a two-block town, and the only place that wouldn't close was the bar. So me and my other friend, uh, one of the other actors, one of the infected hunters, we were <laughs> like, "Man, I'm, I'm like, you know what?" And I told the second AD, I said, look, I'm going to go to that bar and get a drink. And he goes, you can't. What if they call you? I'm going to get in trouble. I'm like, look, just, I got my phone on, text me if you need me on the set. I mean, I was, it was, you know, 200 yards away. So I remember we walk in there and the whole bar looked at us and then just went back to drinking. So we had a couple beers. <laughs> <laughs> don't suggest doing that. Don't follow my, uh, my lead, but, uh, it was definitely fun. And, um, That's it, cool. being, uh, being under makeup's great. It's, um. It's like you get to be a whole other person, and uh, I like uh, you know you, it's not necessarily sitting there for hours getting the makeup put on, but um, it's fun once it's all done, and you get to go kill some folks on TV.
1: Oh, <laughs> all right. So what's next? You know, you got this com- this comedy that's going to be out released, and uh, you got anything else in the in the in the pipeline? Well,
0: you know, I'm always trying to sell shows. Uh, I, I don't think we're represented too well with drag racing on TV. Everything's kind of scripted fake reality stuff and i'd like to get some real drag racing back on the air so i'm always trying to sell some shows like that i'm trying to sell an all uh, you know motorcycle drag racing show as well and uh some bike projects and just trying to sell some stuff and then um you know maybe one of these days hopefully we get monster garage back on the air who knows or we can get pastime back on the air there's a there's still a market for that and uh you know who knows Maybe I'll start doing radio. I don't know. <laughs> you gotta do everything, man. You, you know get, that. Yeah. Looking, you just you throw everything up against the wall. If something sticks, yeah. You go for it. Exactly. If it lasts a year, great. If it doesn't, fine. You still did it. And you, you you gotta take opportunities in the entertainment world.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause uh now tell us about SAG and AFTRA. Is that what exactly I know what SAG well, is? Well that's my
0: that's our union. So it's right. like if you were a, a pipe fitter, you'd be in the pipe fitters. Union. Right. If you were, you know, uh, you worked for GM, you, I don't know what kind of union they have. But uh, 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 the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA is, uh, that's our acting unions. Uh, AFTRA was uh, predominantly for TV shows. Okay. And SAG was movies and uh, and commercials.
1: Is AFTRA that's for radio nerd. people too?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Radio is AFTRA. Uh, that's what... Uh, and also like newscasters so if you see like a newscaster or whatnot they're usually their their guild is the after guild and um, do they yeah, help but definitely all radio hosts uh, okay is after
1: are there uh, do you ever find out about opportunities I mean are there advantages of being a member of sag and AFTRA?
0: oh sure yeah I mean uh, it's 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 not cheap to, to get into sag and it's a it's a it's a catch-22 I think you have to get an act you have to get a line in a, a union movie right and, uh, they have to pay a fine to use you, but then you're allowed to join SAG, which is about 5,000 bucks now. Ooh. But the, but the opportunities are, you can, it's tough to make a living doing non-union works because, right. you know, you can do a non-union commercial and get paid, let's say, they pay you 3,500 bucks. It's not bad. But if that commercial was union, you know, you could make 35,000. So it's a, oh, wow. you know, or you could make a and. I mean, I did a commercial, um, a Liberty Mutual commercial that ran for two years, which I made like 180 grand on. So that was, I wish I would have saved some of that money. But I don't know what, I was single back then, so I don't know what happened with the money. But yeah, it's definitely great to be in the unions. You got to be in the unions. It's, um, you know, that's how we get our health insurance and everything else.
1: It's great. All right. And, and AFTRA is the same thing, but that's for like radio people, but that's that doesn't cost as much as SAG, does it?
0: After it does not cost as much as psych, But, however, we are now the same union. So oh. I believe that if you have to, uh, they've combined. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things where they finally, it's like, we probably should just have one union anyway, so.
1: Okay. Well, Brett, we got about a minute left. If people want to find out more about you and all your all what you're up to, how do they go about doing that?
0: Uh, I have to update my website for brettwagner.org or the big swag on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, you know, Brett, big swag Wagner. I got a fan page and I'm all over the place. I travel a lot and, um, you know, you never know where you'll see me. Uh, I could be coming to a town near you soon.
1: That's right. You could come to my house, take my food and take my animals.
0: That's right. you have any animals? <laughs> yeah, I, don't I remember. Do.
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I do. But I'm not going to tell you what they are because I don't want them to disappear. <laughs>
0: All right, buddy. Hey, it's, it's always a pleasure. Uh, I love listening to the show. Congratulations. Keep doing what you're doing. I believe what, you're in your eighth year now? Or?
1: Eighth and a half year. Eighth and a half. Yeah, 8.5 going into nine. Yep.
0: Congratulations,
1: man. Hey, stay in touch. If you come to Florida, you know who to look up. Give me a call. We'll have you a got, beer. You got it, brother. All right. I want to thank my special guest, Brett Wagner, the big swag. Brett, take care. We'll see you.
0: Thanks, bro.
1: Anyway, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. And uh, I think we're on Twitter and we're working on Instagram. Uh, if you want to find out more about what we do, check out our website, golfstreammotorsports.com. Don't forget, check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the archive page. And you'll find out. Well, you'll catch up on all the shows, the ones you missed, at any rate. And don't forget this weekend. HSR, Sebring, 12-hour classic, Sumter County Swap Meet. Yes, I will be there peddling my parts, peddling my wares. And uh, I hope to see some of you guys at some of the car shoes. Don't sit around. If you got a car, drive it. Hey, don't forget, if you can play musical instruments, get out there, go to some of these open mics. And if you get really, really, really hungry, don't forget to check out the Rip Shack Barbecue at 426 West Bay Drive. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.
2: I mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Days. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. O-U-T-A-N.